Welcome to Well-Designed Lives with Brad Wiesner, our weekly podcast that brings you interesting people and deep conversations about all things beauty and about how others curate a well-designed life. Everybody. Well, I'm really excited for today's conversation. There seemed to be a great energy along the way. It does, though, it seems to me that to be a community leader is not easy. And that's okay for Jordan Steffi. He's our guest today. Jordan grew up in tough circumstances, and he decided at an early age how his life was going to go. From college scholarships, um, the star quarterback at the University of Maryland, His other accomplishments are just always impressive. He's the founder of Children Deserve a Chance Foundation and the companion foundation, Atalo, that are both here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. You will see today, I focus on Atalo, or I seem to gravitate towards Atalo, and I hope you see why. Jordan is a very talented guy, but nothing compares to the drive and the conviction and direction that he chooses every day. He always shows me all the ways that he can bring leadership to the table, and it makes me want to be more like him. During our talk, we again find out that we have a number of things in common. It's just always a pleasure to go down that path with Jordan. Join us today for his compelling conversation around teamwork and philanthropy and his affection for young people. Here is Jordan Steffi. Welcome, welcome. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Jordan. It's a pleasure to have you here. Quite excited. I remember when I first thought of doing this, you were really, I think, the first person I thought of. And I thought, do you think you would do it? You know, and I I called you in a panic. Like, dude, I have to talk to you. And it's not really important. You're like, no, let's meet now. And uh, will you, would you do my podcast? You're like, yes. And and predictable, Jordan. You're like, and what is it again? Whatever. Exactly. (laughs) Our listeners have hopefully read the description of who you are, and I like to brag about you a little bit, so don't blush too much. I was going to say, it makes me very uncomfortable, but go ahead. Yeah, well, I'll try not to. I feel very proud of you. Local homegrown boy does good, but the work that you do that I'm familiar with touches my heart and has always mattered a lot to me, so... uh, um, but let, let's take a minute, and could you talk about yourself a little bit and bring us through your background and where you grew up, and how you got to Maryland, and kind of how, how your life went till you are today? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, the, the time of day, you know, that this question gets asked, because I could give you a bunch of different uh, responses. I think at the highest levels, I feel like I'm here for a reason. Um, I feel that I'm a protege of this community. There have been so many people in my life who, for whatever reason, have gone above and beyond, who've called me to a higher level, who've exposed me to what's possible. And as a result of that, I just live with a sense of urgency, a sense of purpose, and really a desire to 
get as much accomplished uh, in a meaningful way as possible in in my time here on earth. Good. Yeah. Well, take us through how some of that came about. I mean, you were born here in Lancaster. I don't want to say it for you. Yeah, Conestoga yeah. So, and so, so, you know, grew up here in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, um, raised by a, a single mom who is the most amazing, you know, human being, somebody who in hindsight, as you kind of look back and rationalize and make sense of things, extremely resourceful, extremely generous, extremely caring. And I think as a result of that, I mean, there, there's other realities as well. I, you know, I grew up very humbly and, you know, what I lacked sometimes as far as stability and maybe financial means and whatnot was made up for in love and grit. And I think all of those things have been formative in ultimately um, or, or thus far what has kind of shaped some of the things that I've been able to accomplish. But grew up here in, in Pennsylvania, went to Conestoga Valley, finished high school. I was, And if I may, I don't know this answer, so yeah. correct me. Um, because I, I do other mentoring for young guys, and one boy wanted to play uh, football at Conestoga. Is, is Conestoga a local high school that is particularly known for its football, or it's just a good high school for football? Yeah, I, I think it's, it's, um, it's actually, over the last couple of years, struggled from a football standpoint, but has a reputation over the course of the last several decades of being a, a good football school. Mm-hmm. And, and so I grew up uh, kind of playing sports in the backyard, or not in the backyard, in the in whatever field we could find or open space we could find, the park, et cetera. And so, you know, moved through Conestoga Valley. You know, one of the things that I decided relatively early was that I was going to go to college and I was going to go to college for free. And so in eighth grade, I kind of made that decision. And at the time I had a mentor to this day, he's a great friend and mentor. And, you know, what came with this kind of declaration that I was going to be someone, that I was going to go somewhere, was this other part of it, of the equation, which was, okay, so what are you going to sacrifice? Okay, uh, what are you going to do in order to make that a reality? Because everyone would like for that outcome. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was able to kind of identify some of the things that I was going to sacrifice and, and, the, and kind of the pathway there. So ended up going to the University of Maryland, um, I played football there, was a quarterback on the football team. And to kind of close the thread of just from a bio standpoint, finished up there, started a nonprofit that to this day um, is operating, works with now over a thousand young people in not just central Pennsylvania, but they've gone on to colleges and communities all over this country. And then I had a chance to go to business school and I moved to New York City and went to Columbia Business School. And, and so all of these different moments and experiences have really shaped the way that I think about the world, the way that I think about my place in this world, and ultimately the, the impact that I want to make uh, during my time here on Earth. That's how I know you. <laughs> That's the man I know. So you were a star quarterback at Conestoga. You went to Maryland, full scholarship, and you were one of two freshmen ever to quarterback at Maryland. And we're going to come back to this idea of that, and we're going to come back to what makes what makes it what makes a guy a quarterback, and we'll talk about that in a minute. 
and and then you returned to Lancaster, started the foundation. Children deserve a chance. Yeah. What's been undeniable to this day is that people have loved me to success, mm-hmm. and there is a burning desire mm-hmm. that I have mm-hmm. to pay that forward. To our to our listeners, everyone joining us, you may not know this, of course, but there is a phenomenon around Jordan, and, and, and I'm one of them. The, the, the people who circle in your orbit love you. You are charismatic, you're magnetic, there's something about you. And of course, you're a good-looking guy that doesn't hurt at all. And you really have a charm and a passion, and it's, it's palatable. And, and everybody wants to love you to success. You, to me, you are the personification of the universe wants to love you. And you see that it does. And you take full advantage of that, and it works beautifully. So there is this dynamic that people want to see you succeed in very big ways. And part of it is your background is compelling. Part of it is your success, which is compelling. But I argue it is the man himself. It is your inertia. It's your personality. And I'm, 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 not, I'm trying not to blow smoke up your ass, but it, it's really, there's, there is something, I think, rather definite yeah. about that. I have three thoughts when I wake up in the morning. And uh, this is going to, bear with me here, because this is going to sound a certain way. There's a book that's called The Triple Package, and I think I have The tri- Triple Package. And let me tell you what that is. Mm-hmm. When I wake up in the morning, I have three thoughts, and they tend to be sequential and in this order. The first thought is, I'm the shit. I truly believe that I'm here for a reason. I think God has placed me here. I think there's just something different. But Brad, the next thought that I have is I ain't shit. How in the world do I go from feeling like I'm here for a reason to questioning everything about me? Yep. And then the third thought is I'll just be better today. Mm -hmm. And... You know, there are times where I feel like there is such a tailwind that the world is on my side, that everyone's rooting for me. And there are times where I feel like everyone's against me. And that's a tension that I work, try to work through on a daily basis. But what I'm committed to is regardless of how I'm feeling to progress. What I'm committed to regardless of, of the emotion of the hour is to get to know myself better and use the way in which I know myself to impact others in a positive way. And that is uh, both a tremendous place to be in and also sometimes a very challenging place to be in. Okay, we could unpack that and have maybe three separate conversations or episodes just on what you just said. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm fascinated by that dynamic that there are those of us in the world my camp, that when the world is against us, it's all for shit, and there's there's nowhere to go. Just crawl back into bed, put the covers over your head, just give up, easily defeated, right? There's other people in the world that are like, doesn't matter if they're for me or against me, I'm going, and they're a bull in a china shop, right? There are people like you that say, the headwinds are strong, the tailwinds are strong, it's a tornado over here, but it's raining over there, 
and the world is mine to navigate and I choose to navigate it. I choose it. I, I choose it by saying I am the shit. And then I navigate it by saying, you know, I'm not really all that. And then I make it happen. Um, so I'm quite envious of that. Mm. I don't have that talent. Mm. I think we all find our way through life, of course. Yeah, I wish, I wish you could cut off a little spoonful of that and give me some of that. You know. So, uh, no, but that's commendable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if it's commendable. You know, there, there are times where I'm envious of others who are kind of just uh, more consistent in how they feel and th- how they identify themselves in this world and their place in this world. But I am kind of growing to just try to appreciate me, uh, the good, mm-hmm. the bad, understand it better. And that's kind of a process and journey that I know is not just original, uh, you know, uh, specific to me. I know that's a journey that you're on. Unique to you. Yeah. yeah. Do you ever do any psychology therapy or anything? Do you know your Myers-Briggs um, letters? Like, do you know if you're an intuitive or a feeler or a, I, I know, I know one thing that you are. I was curious if you've ever done that. I, I have um, taken those tests. I, I always butcher what, what I am. ENJ something, you know, and I'm an eight on, I think the Enneagram, a, a two and an eight on the Enneagram or something like that. Um, oh, and while we're on all this shit, yeah. what's your Zodiac sign? I don't know. Oh, dude. I really don't. That's what I'm saying. Like, are people you are always me? like, what are you? Are you Capricorn? Are you this? I'm, I, my birthday, birthday is September 26th. I wonder if that's Sagittarius. I don't know. Okay. It's like right on the brink of, mm-hmm. you know. I strongly believe, I mean, I could well be wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm not a psychologist, but I play one on TV. Okay. I am something, I, I forget mine too, but it's like an ENTJ, right? Feeling. I have a, I'm a EF, EF or whatever, feeling. I'm very intuitive. Hmm. Uh, I'm empathetic. I, I feel through life a lot. There are other people that think they're just sensing and they're, I have a feeling that you're feeling. You, you can really, I think, uh, gauge other people where they are you know, you can meet them where they're at, you know, but mm. I think you, you feel things. I'm convinced of it. And uh, I think that's taken you far. It's funny you say that, uh, meet people where they're at. I I agree. I, I think at, at least that's what I really try to do. Um, because it does us no good if I'm meeting somebody where they're not. <laughs> right. <laughs> Really? Can you teach me that also? Because I'd love to meet people where they're not. And I can mean, I tell you how that works out? <laughs> Please <laughs> it's do. It's horrible. It's horrible. You, you know, the, the, when I think about myself, uh, there's a quote that I love, which is, is, the map is pointless if you don't know where you're at on it. Mm-hmm. Which lends itself to the importance of self-awareness, right? However, if you truly believe, which I do, that life is not meant to be lived alone, that we can do things and, and travel further together, then, then partnership and collaboration is a necessary part of the equation. And so the same thing applies in that the quicker that I can meet you where you're at, that I can empathize, that I can understand where you're actually starting from, the sooner that we can move forward mm-hmm. collectively. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think I do get this from my mom, you know, I really do. And she just, she aspires to understand without judgment where someone else is starting from, where someone else is seeing the world. 
Well, that's just very much what I what I try to do very often is, uh, and I guess it's meeting people where they are, really. But I look for commonalities as quickly as possible. I think when it's someone I don't know very well, what do we have in common? And however quickly I can ingratiate, you know, rapport, some trust, and oh, you golf too. I don't. But anyway, haha, I lived on a golf course, right? And people can warm up. And I think you get that uh, traction uh, that you and your mom, you know, so your, your mom taught you or showed you that part of herself, you know, to really, you know, meet people and, and not judge. I think that's the another important thing. She didn't really judge. Mm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it, it's just this belief that in order for us to move forward, clarity and honesty and truth matter most. And therefore, I want to create an environment that's as conducive as possible to you being you. Mm -hmm. I tend to do better when others create that environment for me, right? It's, it's the reason why I'm here today, Mm -hmm. right? We've, we've connected over the years, but I've just always felt like regardless, good, bad, or indifferent that I could just be me. And, uh, and I think when you are able to perpetuate that or, or to create that with others, it allows for you to figure out, okay, what do we align on and how do we add value uh, to each other and to the cause or the mission um, as we move forward? Yeah, that's, uh, and we have a lot of similarities. We have a lot in common and, and that is one of them, I think, is to, to always, you know, always tell the truth or I'll always come back and tell the truth, one or the other, you know, and if you've, if you've screwed up, so I'm in recovery, 12-step program. Part of, part of my life is carefully looking at wh- how I'm treating others, how I'm behaving, and uh, wherever I need to to go make things right. Mm. It's very important for me to do that. And, and you and I have shared some personal truths with each other. I think say to me that you care to be forthcoming. You, know, you, you want our relationship to be at least that clear on, on that level of clarity with each other, um, which is pretty cool, you know? And so I, and I respect the shit out of you for that, by the way, I just think it's really cool. It means a lot that you're, that you're that way. So, okay. So here we are, your mom's influence. I did not know you had a single mother, single mom, father, not in the picture. Yeah, that's a, that's a crazy situation. I I didn't grow up with my biological father. In fact, I, I just, uh, kind of learned of who he was about a year ago, uh, so, um, you know, my mom had boyfriends throughout the years and she ended up getting married for uh, a relatively short period of time, a mm-hmm. couple of years. Um, but, uh, yeah, a single mom. Mm-hmm. Leaving Lancaster to go to University of Maryland, going to school, football. Were there other sports that you enjoyed? I liked, I played basketball as well. Was, was was pretty good at basketball. But it became clear that football was my path to accomplishing that first goal of, of going to college for free. Well, then I'll ask my question now, and it may be obvious, but it may not be so obvious. Is, was football your number one passion in sports? You know, was it, it was clear or no basketball was your first love, but football was going to get you there. What was your most favorite sport you've ever played? I, I pause because listen, growing up, I, I, I watched, you know, Michael Jordan and the feelings that that gave me was something that I looked forward to. It was huge. Right. I also watched Deion Sanders and the Dallas Cowboys and 
and, and and so those kind of being a fan certainly informed me eventually you know playing in the in the um, parks and in the open fields and and eventually kind of more formal athletics but the, the part that I struggle with now in hindsight is did I love sports did I see just simply see them as my way out mm-hmm. um, was that brought on by me was that brought on by society your environment my environment yep that that was my way, that that was, that was what you do if you look like me and come from where I come from. Sure. I, I don't know, and I'm still trying to make some sense of that. Mm-hmm. But as far as passion, I think what I was passionate about was the team element. I, you know, every sport I've ever played has been a part of a team. Mm-hmm. I think I was passionate about the leadership role on teams, right? And... I was passionate about the feeling and what winning did <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, for good or for bad, mm-hmm. right? And, mm-hmm. and so um, I wouldn't say that it was clear that I was just so passionate about basketball or so passionate about football. To this day, I mean, I like sports. I think sports are, you know, fascinating. There are people who are part of sports. But it's more so to me, I truly do get excited about what has made Tom Brady who Tom Brady is. Yeah. What it is that that makes LeBron James who LeBron James is. Mm-hmm. That to me I think is more enticing than uh, the fact that they can, you know, dribble a basketball or or throw a football. Many people know that I don't really follow sports. I know just enough to get myself into trouble. But growing up in DC, I was a Redskins fan, so please dear God tell me that you were not a Cowboys fan. That was definitely the last team that I rooted for. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, I, I'd say over the last 10 years, the truth is I haven't rooted for a team. Yeah. It's been more so about people. Yeah. But, um, and who, so but that was my team. Who would that people be in football for you? So right now, and, and for, you know, some reasons that mm-hmm. are just, you know, I, I, I like Lamar Jackson. I love Tom Brady. Yeah. Um, I love LeBron James. There are there are some others that uh, you know I followed throughout the year. Darius Hayward Bay, Tory Smith is somebody who's you just went over my head right yeah, there. Yep, and and they're not those are na- these are people that I played with in college. Oh shit, you know. And then beyond just the fact that I played with them, it's it's who they are as people. Sure, right. Sure. Tory Smith is a is a once in a generation human being mm-hmm. who happened to be able to run really fast and jump really high and catch a football. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that's showing in some of the things that he's doing now post. Um, football. Andrew Hawkins mm-hmm. is not a name that you're going to know, mm-hmm. but Andrew Hawkins has his hand on culture, has his hand on um, paving a way for other people, and and you know, so those are the types of people who happen to be athletes, mm-hmm. but but what they do and who they are uh, endures long past sure the time that they are on the court or on the field, like so many greats, um, absolutely. I didn't really know. Is is Walter Payton? Sure. You know, some of the great football greats. I don't really, you know, except I have become a big Patriots fan, and for years I can't understand. I my 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 family really is from the Boston area, so right. Mm-hmm. But it turns out it's Tom Brady. Yeah. And now I'm not a Buccaneers fan. I'm just not. I'm I'm Team Tom Brady. I don't care where that man exactly. goes. I'm on his team. I cannot believe what he accomplished in Florida after leaving Boston. I just can't believe it. And I'm, I'm so in awe of that. And LeBron James, I don't really know 
enough about him and he's somebody that i think i think i want to know more about him because there's got to be a big story there that i'm sure i would love i think the challenge with someone like a lebron james is that because their intentions are so pure Mm -hmm. it's not easy for you to understand or even acquire the context necessary mm-hmm. to realize his greatness. Because it's, um, yeah, well, it would be uh, not unlike the, the concept of whomever's really good at what they do, they just make it look so easy that you don't see how hard they're working. L- like Absolutely. that, but differently. I know, I got no, your no, no, point. You're spot on. And, yeah. yes, and the fact that it's not about him. Right, well, teamwork. That's, that's the transcendent thing. I think for any great sports team player mm. and yourself is that it just transcends you. Mm. And I think I love to be on a good team and I don't really care if I'm the leader, I'm a good leader or I can be number two. I don't really care. I just want to be on a really good high functioning team because I think it transcends us. Well, so what do you think the answer is not obvious, but I'm going to try to pigeonhole it into a, you know, when did the switch flip for you? What made it be about le- leadership? portion of it what what formed your leadership capacities yeah that's a loaded question or you know when did they form and how yeah your mother helped shape them obviously your childhood because but there probably wasn't just a switch that was like and it was in that moment that i knew but but can you encapsulate kind of um the metamorphosis of Jordan when he was young and, and how, how did you come to say, I am this guy, I am this leader? Yeah. Yeah. So I think two things, right? Experience and exposure. So yeah. I, 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 the good, the bad, the ugly in, in, in experience and exposure. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, I've had experience and I've had experience in being a really good leader. I've had experience in being a really bad leader. Mm-hmm. I've had experiences in leadership where my intentions were pure and I've had experiences in leadership where my intentions were self-serving. Mm-hmm. That's experience. Mm-hmm. Exposure. I've had experiences where I've witnessed amazing leaders. People who not, not when they're on stage, right, but when they're in the stands. And you see how they act in the stands. And that, oh, by the way, they're just as attentive when they're in the stands as they were when they were on the stage. Sure witnessed leadership, uh, you know, and been exposed to leadership that's not so great. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's, it's this, this kind of combination, this mix of these personal experiences and this exposure that I've had that have helped to evolve my approach and um, hopefully strengthen uh, the way in which I, I lead. But at the end of the day, to me, leadership is much more about listening than it is about telling. Leadership is much more about serving than it is being served. And that's not how I grew up thinking about leadership. I thought leadership was yeah. you stand and everyone does things. It's hierarchical. It's hierarchical. Right. Do what I say. And they'll all do what you say. Just tell them to do it. And all, it's like on a sailing ship. Right. There's no room for questions. Just do what I say. Yeah. And I'm really good at that. (laughs) (laughs) I love to sail. But see, it was a good example for me. On a sailboat, someone has to be the captain or this is going to get real fucked up real fast. Mm. So if no one's going to be the captain, I am. It doesn't doesn't matter who. Someone's got to. Yep. And if you want to be the captain, that's fine. And then I'll do whatever you tell me. But someone's got to. But I think the importance to to what you said earlier, though, is that 
do you have to be the captain? No. Right? And that's where you're saying, I'm no. willing to sit in seat number two or yeah. three. And for me, that journey, which I, I'm in the midst of, you know, I don't want to speak about this as if this is a thing that's behind me. I'm only now really beginning to realize the importance of, yes, there are moments and situations and circumstances where I need to step up and lead. Mm -hmm. But if that's the only seat that I can sit in, there's a problem. And yeah. so how do you lead from seat number two? Because you can lead from seat number two. Right, exactly. Three or four. Informal leadership, yeah. yeah. In a similar way, but in a different venue, um, in my background uh, growing up in, in hotels, and that doesn't really matter in, in management of people, really my leadership of people. I used to be such a horrible manager that I don't even like, I don't even like to share the stories anymore. They're, they're beyond embarrassing. Some of the shit mm. that I used to pull. And I can't believe that there were people that would come back to work the next day, punch in and continue to work for me. I, to this day, I can't believe that they must've really needed a job because I was weak. Ah, there was some good there. Uh, but there was a woman, Camille Dean, who somehow inserted herself and became a mentor without my even asking. <laughs> but I knew I, unconsciously, I knew I needed it. And slowly, she began to break open some cracks, get me to be vulnerable, get me to look inside and start to see how to become a better manager, how to become a better person, you know, and these interpersonal relationships and the drama, and I won't go into it, but I ended up becoming rather, rather good. Mm as a manager of people, as a leader, as a, a larger nationwide company. And I was one of 12 mentors in the world in this mm -hmm. company. So I was quite proud to, um, to be able to affect people's lives that way. And uh, this is where our conversation today is really going to end up is, is, you know, influencing others' lives. But so to be a very good manager became a quest for me. And boy, I really, I took after it. I happened to be very fortunate to work for a company that had a lot of development for us in that area. The higher up in the management chain I got, the more training we got. And um, I just drank it all up. Yeah. Becoming a leader, I think that many of us will say is that we had, you know, exposure, opportunity, exposure, opportunity. But the other thing with a leader too, which I struggle with too, to this day is, but someone's got to throw the football. And, and if the quarterback's going to be the leader, that's fine. And you can listen all day long. And we can take all different the plays and the scrimmage. And you want to think about, mm -hmm, and who's got strength. And you want to do this, but you really like to hold the ball, but you really love to kick. And you're really, you can listen all day long and plan and cajole. And you, but at some point, you're the boss. And you all got to be at work at 8 a.m., not 8.30. Mm. Sorry. Somebody's got to do it, you know. To me, that's the, the little tricky part for some people, for myself, it, it, it can bleed into a little bit of a, I'm your friend, I'm here to listen. This is more HR oriented than it is leadership, you know, and I think at some point, people do want to see the boss act, you know. Absolutely. And I, and I think where this possibly works out is when I realize that the greatest way to lead is to model. Mm hmm do the things that I expect of others. Pick up the piece of trash out there on the plaza when no one's looking. Yeah. And just be in the stands when you're not on stage. Just be in the stands. Yeah. And um, that made me think of someone when you were saying that example. And it wasn't Magic Johnson. Who was it that you were talking? And it just made me think of... Um, anyway, 
someone who's sort of uh, in the background that way and can still be an informal leader, can influence and still um, have that enigmatic quality. So, so let's go back to you graduate Maryland and you come back here and you form Children Deserve a Chance. But from that organization came a corollary one, Atalo. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, this is the one I most align with. It's the one I know the most about. So forgive me if I sort of stay in this lane a little bit, but um, I'm quite enamored with the work that goes on at Atalo, your leadership of it. What does Atalo mean? Sure. So for context, uh, um, it's my freshman year at the University of Maryland, sitting in this class. And the professor says, you should teach something shortly after you learned it, while you still remember what it's like to not know it. I'm sitting there trying to wrap my mind. What did he just say? Right. You should teach something shortly after you learned it, while you still remember what it's like to not know it. And what he was getting at Uh. in that class was that right after we learn something, right after we experience something, all of the detail... All of the emotion is still there. Mm-hmm. But as time goes on, we tend to forget those things. And, and so there is this moment that we have, this moment of insight, that if in that moment we teach that, we share that with someone else, it's as potent as it ever will be. That's awesome. And so I'm sitting there and I realize, wait a second, I am here living the dream. I'm a division one quarterback. Every meal is covered. I'm meeting more people than I could have ever imagined. I need to create a pathway here for other people who came from a background like me. So that was the impetus of what eventually became Atalo. That, that to this day, people know as this program that works with juniors and seniors in high school as they both introspectively understand their purpose and their passion, mm-hmm. and then they match that to a next step after high school, whether that's a four-year college, whether that's joining the military, whatever it might be. But we want young people to take their next step after high school with a sense of purpose, with these leadership qualities, and with a sense of urgency. So that all stemmed from that class my freshman year at the University of Maryland. Mm-hmm. So Atalo was my attempt at paying forward at teaching what I had experienced, the exposure that I had received, to what at the time was just one or two more students. Now it ends up being, you know, we're approaching 2,000 students who've been through the program or are currently in the program. Mm-hmm. Amazing. When I discovered Atalo through our mutual friend, Jill Walner, I, I knew I had to get to know you better. Who, who's the kind of guy that would form this thing? Who's, what is his motivation? Where's his impetus? How did this guy, what's his name, Jordan? Okay. How, one of the things that I feel connects me to you is my same desire to help assist and influence a young person around high school age. I find it such a formulative time period and something that happened to me and I don't know if I've ever told you this Jordan I don't know if I have I was in high school parents have been divorced so I'm living with my dad and my stepmom life's okay I want to bitch about my stepmom a little bit you know here and there because we all do right 
actually the woman was really good to us and it was it was okay we had we had a nice you know upper middle class life high school i was good looking i was got some girlfriends i was fun with this ski club this or that but even in high school you could look at brad and go "Uh uh-huh this this guy has more on the if i wasn't voted most likely to succeed i wasn't i was up if I wasn't voted the best looking guy in school, I wasn't, but I was up there. But I was in theater. I was gregarious. I was open. It was sort of, and I think anybody who would know me would be like, clearly, I mean, both your parents went to Indiana University in Bloomington, and your, your parents are college, like you're going to college. It's a whole, you know, trajectory, right? Sure. Not every kid has that, but for me, it was your parents are going to pay for school. It's all, you're golden. Mm. And I made it clear because I told everybody I'm going to be a doctor, that I'm going to Indiana University. Even though I lived in Maryland, my family's from Indiana. My parents went there. My grades weren't so good. I mean, they were average. Right. My SAT scores were quite good, mm. as it, that can happen. And so I really believed I'm going to Indiana. I just kind of knew it. I had this guidance counselor. She did not like me. Mm. And this was back in a day, 1970s, where... I don't know. We didn't have the awareness of sensitivity or whatever, but she did not like me and had no problem making it really clear. She would bring me into the office and, and these weird punitive talks. And, and I would end up leaving going, what the hell was that? Mm. And that if I had a problem, I went to the assistant principal of the school because I know to go to the top and things got done. And at some point she had me tested or it was a test that we all did, whatever. And she brings me in to sit me down and we're going through the results and she's tisking and, you know, it's not, not all that impressive, you know. And I'm like, what? And I guess it was the aptitude, whatever. And the upshot is that she basically sat there and told me that I'm going to be better suited for, you know, certain kinds of jobs. Hmm. And I'm like, well, I'm going to be a doctor. I mean, I kind of knew that. So loved biology, loved it. Mm. She wanted to reframe that for me. And she didn't use those words because that's not the way she would talk. But it was harsh. And it was... You're going to be better suited for the trades. Jordan, my father owned an airline company back in the day. I don't know, trades. What do you mean trades? No, she meant like plumber or electrician. And I laughed. And I just thought, you are the biggest ass I've ever met. And I walked out of her office. I just can't, I can't take it seriously. You can't be serious. Right. So at some point, I'm applying for Indiana. I happen to work up at the front office. You know, those kids up front, they work, help administrate people. And there's a few women that work there with us. They've been around. And back in the day, you remember in the files, we all had paper files. There was hardly copy machines back then. It was the old blue paper that you spin and it had that smell, if anybody's old enough to know that. And uh, there it were, all these files. And those were your permanent records over there by the window. And I'm like, oh, my permanent record. And they all look at me funny like, yeah, like, we don't go over there. Because it was a, you're not old enough. It was when, when we had a permanent record, it followed you for life. Huh. Oh, it was a black mark. It was worse than Nazis bombing America. If it goes on your permanent record, you are screwed. Hmm. I said, well, I've always wanted to see my permanent record. And they're all freaking out. I'm like, you can't go. And I'm like, it's my permanent record. Of course I can see it. I work. I just went over there. W's found it they're all freaking out mm. you're not allowed to do that i said oh what do you think i'm going to do go make an appointment with mrs so-and-so and then she's going to take everything out of it and, and scrub it for no 
And sure enough, as they're freaking out, I have it open. We didn't have post-it notes, but it was a small yellow legal pad thing where there was a long written note all about Brad. And it was cursive handwriting about how Brad's not happy at home. Uh, Brad hates his mother and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, hates my, I read it as my real mother. Holy, just a mess. Mm. And as I started to get really angry, I see my application for Indiana University. And on the right-hand margin, somebody had written, we don't recommend accepting this student to Indiana University. So um, I hit the roof. My mother and stepfather were going to drive up and handle this shit. My father ended up, and uh, we met in the principal's office, and I'll never forget it. Mr. Moran was there, Ms. La Savita, my father. I think my stepmom was there. And yeah, the upshot is that I got in trouble because I went into my file. Hmm. And uh, yeah, you shouldn't have done that. And to this day, it is a trauma Wow. I, used to, I used to call it a wound or, you know, it really scarred me for life. I, I now know that actually it's a, it's a trauma for me because it hasn't gone away. It's informed many things in my life, not the least of which I will never let this happen to a high schooler, not on my watch. Wow. No one's going to F them up like this. Um, and so, sorry that was long, but in a converse way of yourself, I'm here to help kids through high school in a way because I know things, I've seen things. Mm. And I'm also in business and I know how the world works. So we're gonna get you straight to the director of admissions on this issue and we'll, we'll figure it out. I, I appreciate you sharing that. That I, I did not know that you didn't share that story with me before, but you know, as I think back about just the intentionality and the advocacy work that you do for young people, I, it, it makes sense now. Um, and, I, and I feel like your story is both, well, first and foremost, very unfortunate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, not as uncommon as we would like to think. And I think it kind of even more at a macro scale, just this reality and the truth that how we use our power matters. Mm-hmm. The words that we speak into others matter. And that story is just an example of how not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Traumatizing as it was, it's sort of, you know, and I think trauma left unchecked becomes other things. Um, and I, I have developed a very healthy sense of resentment and fear and hatred um, and resistance against anybody who has power over me and misuses it. And, you know, if you're my boss and you're a jerk, I can quit. That is not exactly what I'm talking about. But if you're a police officer, if you have absolute control over my outcome, if you're my guidance counselor, if you're my parent, and it becomes this really not just heavy-handed but uh, almost abusive in that sense, it's unfair. And... um I have this visceral reaction to all of that kind of stuff. And so that just feeds my interest, among other things that feed it. But one of the feeder points of my advocacy, my interest, my mentoring, the things that I want to do to influence young people's lives are a little bit of that. It's protectionism. I I get very protective. Mm. And um, the young man that, that you and I have in common, John, 
I, I found myself extremely protective over some stuff that was happening in his high school. Um, that turned out to be fine and it turned out to be for the best actually, but I got real, real protective over that. But also that you and I share the gentler side of it or the more interesting side of to share, you know, the bounty that we have to share the benefits that we've been given to share the insights, the knowledge, the, the awareness, um, the jeu de vie, the, 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 the whole abundance of life. I also feel strongly I've got to get that into this kid. Um, and I know you do the same. I know it. And so this all ties back to when Jill introduced us and I met this man who formed Atalo and learned what Atalo is, what it does. And I'm like, who is this guy? Because I just knew we would have these kinds of things in common. And, uh, and although I've always thought it to myself, I've always known it about you, that you find beauty in young people. And I think I do too. And so I never really articulated that, Jordan, but this goes way back mm. to we just opened our whole conversation today about how when I wanted to do this podcast, I think you were the first person that actually came to mind because I knew that we celebrated and enjoyed this particular vantage point of I'm going to make this kid be the best. And whether I design it or I plan it or Brad does it at a fear-based model of I'm protecting, I don't care. I am going to make the best outcome for this kid. Mm. He doesn't even know it yet. And again, and, and then I have grand visions. You know the movie Anti-Mame? I do not. Mame. And she's the aunt. And her, her little nephew, Patrick, and she's very flamboyant, Broadway star. It's a big play. It's sort of this very tongue-in-cheek musical. But, uh, and she thrills to the idea of exposing the, this young man to the world. And all of her characters and her friends and the weirdos and the gay people and the straight people and the upty, every animal in Africa and every Maharaja in India must be seen. Come with me. Take my hand. We're going, you know. So it's a little Pied Piper or Annie Mame thing I think I got going on too. I, I think one of the other commonalities that we have, whether it's with unfortunate circumstances that um, have been kind of imposed on us or in some cases, maybe even that we've created, sure. um, that we have this commitment to take a situation and make good of it, bring good out of it. And, uh, and that, you know, the work you've done with John, the advocacy, the exposure you've provided, I think is just a small example of, of probably a bunch of examples uh, in your life. And I certainly know that there are some in my life. Managing people, just yeah. employees, you know. I mean, I was kind of known as the guy that uh, if you went to go work with him, he would develop you, you would get promoted. And so I would have people move to Chicago to work with me there because he kind of knew. So, yeah, I think your point's well taken. I think that you find that advocacy. I do think that we share that that advocacy, um, the beauty, the benevolence of it, but I, just, I think you get there quicker. I think you come from a place of beauty, of an immediacy, of a, oh, wow, you know, these lemons just make lemonade. And I'm a little slower on the uptake. I'm like, lemons? Well, I get these lemons. Now I'm going to sit here with these lemons. What am I going to do with freaking lemons? <laughs> and then I look over at Jordan Stephan and I'm like, that dude already made lemonade. Oh, let me make some lemonade. And then I can get quick, I get up on the uptake, but it takes me a hot minute to <laughs> get there. So it's hilarious. Cool. Talk to... Talk to us about 
the beauty that you find in children, Atalo, and all the work that that is. And and you folks go look at Atalo and look what it is. The website's great, and it really talks a lot about and shows the kids and their college tours and, and all of that. What do you? How do you define the beauty of it? Yeah, I, I think that kind of the base or the core, or the fundamental of it is it's around self-awareness. It's around connection. It's around community. It's around learning and it's around progress. You know, so if I, if I had to define like what is beauty, like to me, beauty is all of those things. Mm-hmm. It's self-awareness. It's community. It's progress. Um, it's learning because what that guarantees is um, something more, something different, something that's evolved. And so I also just have felt that as it relates to problem solving and as it relates to what this world needs to be a better version of itself, what we need are people with lived experiences and earned insights solving the problems that they had before. And so when I look a young person in the eyes and say, you can do this, it's not because I think. It's because I know. I know from what I speak. I know from what I, I know speak. what I talk. Yeah. I and, and I think that over the course of time, based upon the outcomes and the results. Sure, sure. That that not only young people, but but slowly this community has started to recognize that. Mm-hmm. One of the things I know that you, I've heard you say it a lot, how do you say it? Like we can't believe what we can't see. Yeah, um, it's hard to be what you can't see. Right, thank you. you. You put their faces right in it. Here, this is what... This is what an Ivy League banner looks like. This is what an application to an Ivy League school looks like. This is what it feels like to be in this caliber of society, and you're going to be there. So since you're going to be there, you're going to get prepared. It's an assumptive thing, too, because it's your salesmanship thing anyway. anyway. The point is, you know. You know what you have designed for these kids. You know where they're going. You just know it. And... um. I don't believe I've ever met a single, not one young person that's sort of in the corner going, I am not buying all of this. I'm not picking up what he's putting down. I I don't ever see that. And there is, and it's not blind faith. It's not a naivete of a young person. It's, I'm getting it. I understand him. I'm following what he's doing. I, I really believe it. Yeah, I just, the whole, uh, and then of course when you take all these kids on these college tours, and whether that's California, Chicago, New York, let's go see these campuses, and they see an art school, they see the engineering school, but they see the very top schools, you know, in that city, do that. There's power in familiarity and proximity. Mm -hmm. All I believe and know to be true is that if, I go a place and I learn about that place and I see people who look like me in that space. Then I begin to believe that it's possible for me. Yeah. And I think, or what I hope that young people sense, and this is not just me. I mean, we, Atalo has been built on the shoulders of a whole bunch of people. Not the least it was Leo. Absolutely. You know, 
Yeah. And 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 you know probably thirty other people who Leo's last name is is it De Silva or Silva? Leo Silva. Leo Silva. Just want to get his name out there. Absolutely. Love me some Leo. He, he, once in a generation. Yeah. Once in a generation type person. But the familiarity, the proximity piece, and then the last part of it for for a young person is is my hope is that they realize that there is a selfish part of all of this, and now that selfish piece is that I have two young children of my own. Mm-hmm who aren't going to look to me for the answers, who aren't going to look to me for the inspiration. They're going to look to John. Mm-hmm. And they're going to look to John for the access mm-hmm. and look to John for the mentorship and the coach. So there is a self-serving part of all of this. But in the short term, but but that self-serving piece, they'll have choice in. They'll choose if they want to mentor my son and daughter mm-hmm. or the next, you know. But it's really about empowerment. Mm-hmm. It's really about, I want to position you in a place to not need me. Leadership is not cr- about creating leaders. It's about, or creating followers. It's about creating other leaders. Let's not create a crutch. Let's get you to stand. 100%. If it's helpful, I'm not sure. I just want to clarify. The young man that we're speaking of, John, is someone who I came to know. Not always because he wanted it, but I kind of had him under my wing a little bit. And his family was incredibly supportive. And there's many, many people in the... John was here in in high school and really had not, I think, not had been exposed to certain things in life. And so the story that I share that I like is that Atalo wasn't sure how to embrace John because just administratively, he didn't come through a particular feeder school. And that's okay. We don't have to let, we don't got, we don't, how do we bend the rules to work with this young man? And as we're fitting John into Atalo, he was eclipsing. I, I don't know if I ever told did I, I told you that we went over to the private school in town and, and he was admitted on the spot because the, they saw. No, his but that's not that's not surprising. Ju- I mean, you know, he's a handsome young man. He's mm-hmm. in a sport coat. We're getting the tour and behind the scenes, they've got his transcripts and everything. And they're like, oh, no, dude, you are admitted full scholarship. Don't even worry about it. And for lots of reasons, I don't need to go into it. But for lots of reasons, the family chose not to enroll him into this, which I thought, oh, my God, this is going to open doors for him. The country clubs, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking all this white privilege shit, right? And, you know, the, the, the boys he's going to meet, the golf clubs and the drinks at the bar and the girls he's going to meet. So he went back to our public high school here in McCaskey, which, you know, I really just can judge harshly sometimes. You know, it's a huge school. It's a machine. He's just a number. This isn't, and I'm pushing, I'm pushing the guidance counselor for more. No, no, no. They had already given him AP classes. That wasn't enough. Right. They're giving him IB classes. I'm like, okay, tell me again what IB is. I forgot. Right. And they're telling they ended up just putting him into the IB program, period. And he became the number one student at McCaskey's IB program, which is a huge deal because in central Pennsylvania, that is pretty much the Thing. Absolutely. And people will take their kids out of this particular private school to bring them over to this IB Boy, program. program. Yep. So it's f- it's amazing how the universe can work, how God will take care of things. And then the young person themselves, which really this journey has been mostly John. Let's call it what it is. Sure. How he performed, how he advocated for himself, how he found his direction. I've never I've never met anybody, maybe yourself, rarely do I meet somebody who is so self-motivated, so self-directed. And there he is, right? And during that time, you folks said, hey, I know it's last minute. We have a group going to Chicago to see schools. Uh, we'd love for John to come. And we're like, yeah, sure, put him on a plane, you know. And and whether it was on purpose or not, I don't know. But 
John was put up in first class, and there were a few other young people there with him. This boy ain't never been in no first class, no <laughs> how, no how. And his background was, was not always, you know, a, a, a luxury background. And there he is. He's in first class for something for him. It's for him. It's not to shuttle him here or to put him there. It is for him to go and you're in first class in United Airways. And I know, I know how the girls are treating him up front. And you all get to Chicago and you see the schools and the University of Chicago and Northwestern and the Chicago Institute of Art. And um, your folks and, and Jen and everybody came home. We picked him up and Jen just looked at me and said, he changed. <laughs> she looked at her watch and she said, in the last 72 hours, he changed. He came a lot, you know, uh. you could almost see it in him. And it wasn't long after we were at dinner and he says to me, yeah, Brad, I know where I'm going to school. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, because we haven't been to MIT. Sure. And of course, Princeton, don't forget. Well, and we're absolutely, we're flying out to Stanford because I want to go to California and see, you know. No. I'm like, no, no, no. No, he goes, no, I'm going to Northwestern. Well, I had been to Northwestern when I was younger. You, oh, like, wow. Yeah. And I'm like, Northwestern? And he goes, and don't try to talk me out of it. And I'm <laughs> like, no, no, no. I just, hey, top 10. Hey, no, it's great. What's our backup school? So we're going to, no, no, I don't need a backup school. Oh, I said, okay, here's, no, we're not playing that game. <laughs> you're going to back up with Princeton. You're going to back up with whatever. But no, he said, no, I'm going to play with fire. I'm not, I, it's not fire. I'm just, I know where I'm going. And I'm like, you little shit. <laughs> now I get to live on the edge and freak out until whatever, because guess where I'm going? Yeah. Back in high school, that front office, right on the margin. Mm. What if the shoe drops, Jordan? What if the shoe drops and he does? What's our backup? Because you always got to have a backup, don't you? Mm. No, he doesn't. He looked me right in the eye. No. And I said, okay. <laughs> I <laughs> Was it even a month? Was it even a month? Right. Early admission, full scholarship. We're going to pay for your tuition. We're going to pay for your room. We're going to pay for your board. We're going to pay for your books. And we're going to give you spending money. Spending money? I've never heard of that. Unbelievable. Yeah, they wanted him. Yeah. And he's in Northwestern today. And he's really happy. And I just, I, I, I wanted to share that with our listeners because yeah. that's just one guy in what a toddler does. We could tell Leo's story. We could tell a lot of stories. There's, there's a lot of stories, but I think what we never, ever want to lose sight of is that it's one person. Right. And that commitment to one person. And, and you know, it's funny you mentioned the first class piece. I know what it's like when someone signals mm -hmm. that you matter. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we've just tried to be very, very intentional for every student who gets invited to Atalo, they get this invitation and you know, we're here in this beautiful studio and quality matters. Right. And they get this piece of paper. I had a parent one time, I asked her, her daughter ended up getting a, a full scholarship to college. And so I said, you know, why did you trust us? Like, what made you trust us with your daughter? Right. And this mother said, uh, she said it was two things, and they're both kind of superficial. She said, but the first thing was that invitation, you know? She said, I never felt paper that felt that good. She said, and the second thing was on that invitation, you wrote my daughter's name in gold. You think about That's beauty. Emotional. You think about design. Right. Think about... Um, 
what we can do to signal to right. people right. that you matter, that you're worth the investment, that we think you'll make do and good do of this investment. You know, that's ultimately what we're doing at Atalo, but that's that's a life purpose of mine. Is how do I live in a way in which anyone who crosses you want me to do this podcast? Of course I'll do this podcast. I, I know you enough to know that you stand for something. I know you enough to know that you know, that this may be new for you, but your intentions are pure and there's an imp there's intentionality around impact. Mm-hmm. The answer is yes, I'm in. Mm-hmm. You know, and I and I that's just the way that I try to live my life. Yeah, that was really impactful. Feeling that piece of paper. I remember those moments in my life that the universe is signaling there's more for you. That was, that was just real indelible for me. You know, we all find our moments in conversations or things that matter or, or poignant, but uh, doors open. What is, what is one of the most poignant or emotional? Before we end, we're, we're already going to go long with this, I'm afraid. I don't know. You may have to come back, but we're not, we're not stopping today until we finish talking about the fundraising event that I was at, and I just want to talk about that, but <laughs> we're not there yet. So I want to know what was the most poignant, what was the most emotional, what got you? Yeah, there, there are a couple, um, but one that, that always jumps out. And when we first got going, we opened an office, which is right next to the Belvedere. We were on North Queen Street here in, in Lancaster City and had a very small office. And there was kind of a, a very small, there was one table in this open space that had six chairs around it. And then there was a little office that we had kind of a desk and two, two seats in. And we had one of our students, her mother came in. And I'll never forget her mom just saying, hey, can I talk to you in, in the office? And I said, sure. And I went in and she said, I just came from the doctors and I have three months. And I, I mean, at the time, I might have been 22, 23, 24, something. And she wasn't even that emotional at that time. Mm-hmm. She had just gotten this diagnosis. She had just, and she said, just promise me that you'll look after my daughter. And I was just numb. I was numb over the course of the next couple of days. And eventually, I think it was a little less than even three months. You know, we're standing in this hospice and this woman you know takes her last breaths and just that conversation will never mm-hmm. leave me that the only thing on her mind that day was her daughter the only thing on her mind that day was ensuring that her daughter was taken care of and it was just sobering um it 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 made me realize just how precious our time is and it's allowed me to kind of focus on the things that actually matter. And so you know, every single day we're trying to uphold that promise to not just that mother, but to the young people and their families that we're going to take care of their kids. Mm-hmm. That we're going to not just call them to a higher level and support them, but we're going to think about all the things that they're going through in life and try to show up the best that we can. My mind was flooded with words while you were talking, you know, responsibility. Awesome. Impressive. I don't know why I thought impressive, but it's an impressive event. Something very precious put in your hands. It it was making me think about uh, 
speaking of sobering, um, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I have a recovery program, and I help other people get sober. And you can only do so much. Or, or if you're mentoring a young person, it doesn't matter what it is. You know, if you're teaching a new employee something, you, you, they can they can gravitate to the culture. They can they can migrate into the conversation. They can envelope the miasma of all of it. They can they can become the vessel to help propel all of it, or not. And uh, if they resist it, they don't want it, or you, there's only so much you can do. But when you have these moments where somebody says, and in my alcoholism, I failed in these ways, or when I was younger, I did this stupid thing, or my biggest fear is that I won't get into college, or whatever, when people, or my clients, even my clients, you know, I have very personal relationships with clients, and you learn many delicate things. And I always realize I have just been given a gift. I have been given something very precious that they have trusted me with, and it's a very vulnerable moment, and I have to treat this with respect, and I have to be very careful with it. And confidentiality and trust is way up there. But it's a gift. It's, it's a gift in, in its own way. And like that mother said to you, take care of my daughter. Hmm. A gift. Yeah. If, if only... I see this in you and I trust you that I'm going to say this to you. Wow. I know that you've seen other examples of that kind of thing and I know that there are many, many kids, so many of them are disadvantaged kids too, that you know, it can break your heart or circumstances and things. Before the pandemic set in, Atalo, Children Deserve a Chance, the, the annual fundraiser, and you guys invited John and I to go think you paid for our tickets too um and i'm i thought you know this will be cute a children's youth organization the parents will be there i'm thinking what 100 people maybe and um oh it's at our convention our, our we have a really upscale marriott hotel with a convention center here it has a huge freaking ballroom it's, and i thought well if it's what are they going to section off a ballroom that's always weird, you know, a right. hundred of us sitting with the curtain pulled. So, <laughs> hmm. But you know what? I'm happy to go. I'm looking forward to it. And we get there and, oh, my God, like, was it 400 people? 500? I don't, it was a lot of people. 1,600. No kidding. Yeah. See how bad I am? 1,600 people <laughs> are filling a convention center, and there's pre-function stuff going on over here, and then the big ballroom was, like, really decorated, you know, and it was like, this is awesome. Look at this stage and everything. And I didn't know who Leo was or anything, right? I kept looking for you, and the minute I saw you, I realized, this man too busy. He can't be talking to you right now, you know, because I thought, oh, I'm going to talk to George. That's not true. But, um, <laughs> but Jennifer, Jen really took care of us and really showed us around. And I just felt like, I mean, this was massive. I just couldn't believe, like, where'd all these people come from? Yeah. Lo and behold, you know, the, the, the event starts, you know, and the presentation and the people. And this young guy, I don't know if he's African-American or he has a Latino background, but he's a younger guy. He comes out and he starts talking about his experience with Atalo. And you're like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. So this is your version of it. Oh, ouch. That, I didn't know that. Oh, really, dude? You know, and then, oh, this story just went up and down. And then the time at Atalo 
and I forget the exact story. It doesn't really matter. But when he ended up, it was at Harvard, <laughs> right? Yes. And then he's <laughs> he graduated with honors from Harvard. I started to cry. Yeah. Well, I'm not crying, but I'm well enough. I'm like I'm an emotional wreck. Right. And then out comes his daughter, and I lost it. <laughs> lost it. What a story, yeah. right? And you just think it's just some guy named Leo. And then guess who Jordan produces? Freaking Magic Johnson. <laughs> like what? <laughs> Magic Johnson was there. You know him. We you didn't. You I didn't do. just hire him or at. No, no, no. It was immediately clear. You know Magic Johnson, and he's here to support you in this endeavor. Isn't that nice? Wow. I don't know. I was impressed, right? Because I watched basketball back in the day. I didn't watch a lot, but you know. <laughs> and um, oh my God, all of a sudden, as you think the auction and the bidding and the fundraising is over, no, the man starts working the room. It's Magic Johnson. And he's asking you to your face for $25,000. And all you can do is nod your head yes, because it's Magic Johnson in this room. And the next person, and then when he was done, he went for 20000 And, oh, I swear to God, I'm going to exaggerate. You correct my numbers if you want to. But I think he gained a million dollars just from what he did. Anyway, it was a big night. Yeah. I was so impressed. All the people was the big deal for me. I always go around town. I, I want to brag about Atalo. I want to brag about you. I'm I'm quite fond of you. I'm proud of you. I really love this what you're doing, and um, you know I meet people that are like, hmm, never heard of Atalo. Mm. I'm like, how could you not? Right. I mean, are you kidding? You know. So uh, I'm I'm a one man mission to be the ambassador for Atalo, and uh, so anyway, that was just a really big night, and I'm curious it, where where you have it these oh days. Oh my gosh. Um. Yeah, I mean, it, that that was the largest fundraiser this community's ever had. Mm -hmm. In the history of this community, no one has raised more money in one evening than that event. Wow. Magic is magic. I mean, yeah. th that, is, that is that. To me, that was a night where, oh, man, the stars aligned. But what I take away more than anything is the young people on stage. Yeah. You know? Yeah sharing with this community i think two things right one is like this is what your investment went towards mm -hmm. here's where i'm going now you know this isn't charity this is an investment yeah and then the second part of it being um what i believe and what i hope and what i kind of am reading between the lines here and even just your articulation of the evening is like the people left there inspired and moved and hopefully connected. Ah, Brad, I, I that night was a pinch, you know, yourself yeah. moment. Yeah. Raised over a million dollars. And, you know, the th to, to your remarks around, like, have people heard of us or haven't heard of us? What matters the most to me, um, if we could boil it down, is you experienced what you experienced. I didn't tell you what you experienced. You had your own experience. And a young man who we both know, who we've both had a chance to champion, blow wind in his sails, is in Chicago, Illinois right now Yep. at Northwestern University. So what we're committed to is doing the work. 
what we're committed to is keeping our heads down. We're working towards a day where the color of your skin, your gender, your sexual orientation does not determine what you're capable of achieving in this world. Or what you have access to. Or what you have access to. Right. And so whether we're known by a lot of people or not, um, it certainly helps, Mm -hmm. right? But it's not going to deter us from doing the work. Right. When I think about what's ahead, uh, when I think about the growth that we've realized at Atala, when I think about the program underneath Leo Silva's leadership moving into the future, I'm so optimistic. And to tie it in, that evening when I was there, that young man on the stage that brought his daughter out was Leo. And Leo works with you now. He does. He's the yin to your yang. He's the, he's just the, he's the best. He's just the best. Yeah. I think one of the beautiful things is that you can think about us in partnership and you can also think of us Uh as individuals, Uh right? Yep. And that's the cool thing that we want every person to think of, you know, the young people we work with and their families um, and us as a partner. But we also want everyone to see the value in those individuals and those families uh, on their own. Mm -hmm. And so... I think that that uh, is what's so exciting about what we're doing. So what would you like, you know, what do, what do you want to put out there? Because we d- I just, I, I have us focus on Otalo, and I've already apologized sure. for it, but it's where my, where my roadmap leads me all the time. But you have other organizations and interests and things. What would you like, uh, what would you like all of us to know? You know, I, I think Otalo is, a, is an example of who I am. Right, what I believe in. As it relates to design, you know, there are a couple things you mentioned, right? You mentioned the space and the stage, and you mentioned the first class ticket. You mentioned some of these things. That's intentional. Mm-hmm. And I, I think design at its best, right, is both form and function. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's both what it looks like and how it, how it operates and, and, and the utility of it. Has to come first. Has to come first. And so, you know, whether it's a Talo, whether it's, you know, the 1920s home that my wife and I just purchased, whether it's the next thing that I'm a part of, what my hope is, is that people can start to sense, like, I can imagine what that is like. And hopefully things like thoughtfulness and intentionality and, you know, does, you know, form and function are a part of anything that I'm a part of. Mm-hmm. And so whether we talk about a or whether we talk about our consulting company, or whether we talk about some of the investments that we're making, at the end of the day, the fundamentals and the foundation of those things are consistent. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, we'll leave it here for today. I cannot thank you enough. I really can't. I'm so pleased you're here. So glad you came. Glad I know you. It's an honor to spend time with you, Brad. Same here. Thank you. See you soon. See you. Thank you for being with us today. If you're interested in more about Well Designed Lives, follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Until then, see you next week.